Welcome to Legends of VFX, a show where we'll be having conversations with leaders, thinkers, and innovators connected to the world of visual effects. Through these conversations, we'll be learning from our guests' experiences, lessons, and what it really takes to get those pixels up on our screens. Kat Gulachi is a 10-plus-year veteran of the visual effects community. Kat, of Calling All Talent, is a senior talent acquisition specialist for several highly recognized studios on both the West and East Coasts. She is also the co-chair of the New York chapter of Access VFX, a cross-company initiative to promote diversity and inclusion in the VFX industry and the industry outreach advisor for the animation project. Kat is also an adjunct professor for the School of Visual Arts in New York City. Welcome, Kat. All right, I think we're recording. Oof. Welcome, Kat. I'm going to just say your last name one time so that everybody knows I know how to pronounce it properly. Kat Gulachi. Well done. Well said. Yes. All right. <laughs> Welcome to Legends of VFX, Kat. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for taking the time. I know we tried to connect a couple times and I'm glad I finally got you on here. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really, uh, I'm really honored. So thanks, Balali. Sweet. All right. Well, I guess we might as well just get into it. We'll just, if you want to just tell us a little bit about your story and like how you got into the industry, that'd be, I think, a great starting point. Gosh, absolutely. Um, it's an interesting story because uh, I guess about just over 10 years ago, I became introduced to the world of post-production by just merely covering for a friend of mine um, who needed someone to cover a particular week that she was working as a runner at The Mill, New York, as she was being shipped off to an on-set assignment as an assistant camera for a documentary or a, a film project. The head runner or client services manager at the time really noticed my um, my attempts to try to do the best work that I could do within that five-day period. And he wanted me, or he admittedly mentioned that he wanted me to potentially work for them full-time as a runner for this you know particular role. I was still committed to pursuing the world of documentaries and experimental film, which I had only more recently studied in college. And I kind of wanted to see what the world looked like for future cat within that world. So I politely declined. And, um, but thankfully, Kevin, Kevin Ives, who is a VFX supervisor now at the Mill New York, he kept me on this, uh, this directory or this roster. And shortly thereafter, I was brought back to help out as a freelance runner or slash production assistant on a recurring side of things. I was booked more and more frequently, and that role eventually turned into that of a scheduler for the computer graphics department. Then I oversaw a more senior position within the operations team, you know, in creative resource management or scheduling. Mm -hmm. And from there, my role eventually evolved to include that of talent management and outreach. And I had the pleasure of working with high schools and universities to help introduce the several different ways in which one can enter the world of post-production. As of last year, I've since been, you know, working for CAT or working on my own. Mm -hmm. And I've been liaising with a bunch of studios on the West and East Coast. So my knowledge and exposure to other studios has grown. And it's been a very exciting, I guess now almost 11 years for, for me within the industry. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. I didn't know you started out as a runner. I sure did. Um, and it was a pretty invaluable position and opportunity because it really gave me a sense of the culture within the studio. I think a lot of the staff within these post-production houses really are invested in your career when you really put in the effort. And there's a lot of genuine support and nurturing that happens when you start off as a runner. Awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, 
obviously our audience members wouldn't know like our relationship, but like I actually applied to a job at the mill and I almost went. I it was between the mill and MPC. And I I feel like I might have told you this before, but part of the reason I really was like, man, this sounds like everybody's so cool here was the fact that I had met with you. I thought like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, like having I don't know if those guys knew how lucky they probably were to have you as like the face of interacting with the company as far as like recruitment wise. But I totally was like, man, everybody's so nice here. This is so crazy. I totally want to work here. I ended up going to the MPC, but totally like that was a big, one of the things for me was like, oh man, it seems like they have a good culture. Everyone seems so nice. And like, you were so helpful the whole time. I was like looking at where I was going to be going next, you know, as next steps from smoke and mirrors um oh yeah yeah and yeah. I, I remember and uh i remember being so so sad that you you did not accept the opportunity <laughs> but obviously we still cross paths often and um yeah i, I, I did forgive you in the end thank <laughs> you thanks a lot it's actually funny too because i thought about it i was like man actually in the last like maybe five years five or six years every time i've had a big life-changing career decision I, i've ended up having conversation with you about it <laughs> yes yes it's so true this is it's, true it's, it's such a pleasure yeah yeah no, yeah. I, I definitely, I, I remember all of those conversations very vividly. <laughs> I'm like, Kat, yeah, so if you know I'm texting, I'm like, Kat, I need to talk. Something's about to go down. <laughs> and I'm, I, I always feel so honored when that happens. I'm like, oh, Bilali's uh, enlisting me. So yeah, well, I'm sure a lot of people come talk to you. Um, so, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that experience at the mill. I feel like a lot of people probably don't know what it's like to work at a place like the mill, a place that's kind of known as a brand in visual effects, you know, is like it's known as like one of the powerhouses for visual effects and kind of like maybe the differences between working at a place like the mill versus working at like a small shop or kind of not small in the sense of like the kind of work they do, but small in number and scale and kind of like scope, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, first and foremost, you know, having spent the last year alone working for myself and having had the pleasure of working with a wide variety of studios in the world of animation and VFX. You know, it's been it's been great because I've, I've still maintained my strong professional relationships with the organizations and schools I've had over the past several years, many of which I established whilst I was like growing up throughout the mill. When I first started off as a runner, gosh, I think I, I think there were about 89 of us on staff or mm-hmm. well, when I was freelancing as a runner, because I was, I was there quite often. And then when I left the mill last April, we would have probably been about over 275 staff members at the time. So I watched over the course of my, my 10 years there, having seen so many more and, and helped, you know, support the onboarding of a lot of talent and fellow producers. And with that said, I owe so much of my career to the mill. Uh, I basically, I say this to everyone all the time. I, I grew up there, you know, having started off as a runner, yeah. And to be that a lot of people grew up there, actually. Yeah. It's one of those places where I feel like a lot of the talent in New York City grew up there. It's one of those places, I think, even me, I kind of feel like I'm happy with where my career has gone. I always felt like, man, I really wanted to like check off working at the mill off my box, you know, because I kind of wanted to feel like if the mill is one of those places you hear, if you're like, oh, man, if you were able to like be successful there, you can make it anywhere, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's like um, the VX. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It feels like the VFX equivalent of like New York City. You know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. It's that's the that's the perfect reference. And in fact, I I often use that analogy over the years. 
And it's a wonderful group of people. I mean, there have been some incredibly wonderful humans within the industry who really, from all over, from all, you know, studios from all over the world that really mentored and supported and encouraged me and have encouraged their fellow artists. And they're all still very much an important presence in my life right now. In fact, some of the most important relationships I have in my, my life are, are from the mill. Uh, throughout my 10-year career, my network expanded. Um, I grew through a lot of the challenges I faced within the position as I was, you know, as we were growing as a studio. And again, like I, I pretty much grew up there. Yeah. And so what is, what was that experience like? Like, what is it like being, like, I don't, I've never been at a company long enough to see what it looks like to grow, like have exponential growth at a company like that. And I feel like in the VFX industry, it's interesting to think of that because you do hear of studios that started out with like 10 and became like 200 at some point. And so like, are there like significant kind of like milestones that you remember or like challenges or like, you know, growing pains, things that happen in that time that you were there? I think, um, I mean, I think in terms of the culture, the culture still remained over the past years. But admittedly, the challenges that I would face is that there were not enough hours in the day. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of my role was to work alongside the operations team as I became talent manager and to work with the Hetsu department quite closely and to help support from behind the scenes, you know, talent development and Mm -hmm. learning and development initiatives that were... um, promoted by the head of learning and development, Simon Devereaux, who was with us at the Mill at the time. And, um, you know, it's just, you know, you wanted to be able to give equal and great care to everyone to ensure that everyone's feeling supported and nurtured and, and challenged. And, and you also wanted to make sure that we brought in the, the right talent for the right projects and yeah. ensure that the right team dynamic was there. I also worked very closely with the other offices throughout the U.S. and also in the U.K. And, you know, I had the pleasure of liaising and, and trying to maintain or be a part of the general framework for how we were working as a studio so as to maintain some consistency across the group. I worked with some incredible fellow recruiters and talent managers across yeah. the group. And I think in a nutshell, it would probably be just not having enough hours in the day because I think so many of us, you know, especially when we're in this industry, and I, I think it's very safe for me to speak for you as well, that we really genuinely love what we do and we're yeah. willing to put in those incredible hours as it were, you know, you just wanted to be able to make sure that everyone had equal time. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing. I think a lot of the times in our industry, people talk about, and I was actually just having a conversation with another friend about this. Like people mm-hmm. talk about the insane hours and how, how much you could go into a crazy project and you don't even realize you've been working like 13, 14 hour days for like yeah. a week or two weeks straight, you know? And when you really care about the work you're doing, I think sometimes it that those hours just creep up on you and you don't yeah. even realize. And also I feel like in as as an artist, like you want to you wanna put in those hours because you feel like you need to do that to make the work look good, right? And you want it to be as good as possible. And sometimes with restrictions on budgets and time, you still are willing to push yourself a little bit because you're like, I don't care about all these other limitations. I want the work to come out the best and maybe the best way to do that, even in detriment to myself and my sleep maybe, might be to put in extra hours, right? Like, and make that happen. And I feel like that's the thing that doesn't get, when you see these articles come out on Cartoon Brew or Variety about like, oh, studios reporting being forced to sleep in this studio under, under the desk and stuff like that like I feel like those are a lot of the the those are that happens sometimes and I I think that would that's very unfortunate but a lot of the times people are willing to do that because 
you don't want the work to suffer and you care about it so much, right? It's like right. each project Absolutely. you work on, it's like you want to put your blood, sweat and tears into it to make it look really good. Um, yeah, 100%. Um, but then also there's with that's where um, conversations of self-care are really important, yeah. particularly to those who are, uh, you know, about to graduate from university, et cetera. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. And because yeah. the truth is, yeah, that happens. And it's unfortunate that 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 does happen because you want people to take care of themselves and you want mm -hmm. people to not burn themselves out because it's actually unsustainable you know maybe every like once a, every super bowl or, or not or so you can you can work like that but like it's it's not very sustainable to burn yourself out day in and day out because you need to be able to come back the next day and work on projects it's not healthy i think for the company and it's not healthy for yourself right and yeah, and you you touched on people that are or well, you can say students right students coming out of school yeah. and one thing i would like to kind of like probably segue into now is like your thoughts on like recruitment and a little bit of your work in recruitment and what that process has looked like and what it's Absolutely. like finding someone, hiring someone, advising them and like, you know, helping nur nurture their career in visual effects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I, um, I'm also conscious that, you know, uh, and I kind of want to preface this by saying that, you know, I'm, I'm conscious, particularly in this very disconcerting or uncertain times, you know, we're also in a position where we're all collectively grieving or the world is grieving. And as a community, we're all collectively experiencing a certain amount of this grief and uncertainty together as we see how, you know, the future unfolds and how we look at the world of post-production. And, yeah. you know, we're kind of all a community taking each day as it arrives. And, and I really want this to sort of feel a bit more optimistic as we look to the future ahead. And so to your point, while so many of future graduates of schools or programs or organizations are thinking about future job opportunities, as well as with more recent or impending graduations ahead, you know, some suggestions that I, I would like to offer so many of the talented artists that are out there is to really focus on building your personal brand, as it were. Mm -hmm such that when the job market becomes, you know, a lot less uncertain or a lot less uh, complicated, you're ready to offer the best version of yourself as an artist. Yeah. So I've been saying this a lot recently and I'm kind of obsessed with it. And I've been driving my friends who are quite senior in the industry crazy <laughs> with this, but I genuinely believe in the elevator pitch. And, oh yeah, totally. um, I love elevator pitches. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're quite good with your elevator pitch as well. Oh, I, I know, I know. <laughs> you, you know you are. <laughs> and all of our mutual friends would say the same. And it's kind of like, you know, a 20 or 30 second an introduction to yourself or of yourself or for yourself as it applies to how you might present yourself in an interview or in this case, maybe an online interview or, or perhaps at a digital networking event or in-person networking event when we're on the other side of all of this. Mm -hmm. Basically, it's an opportunity for you to think about who you are as an artist, define what your capabilities are, and then essentially assessing your goals and sort of refining your, you know, what sets you apart from your fellow artists in the competitive side of things. The other suggestion I would make is to keep your LinkedIn profile nicely updated. And yeah, for sure. That's that's a really big one because uh, you never know who's going to stumble upon your page yeah. on a random search. My mom, the middle of the my, my, my mom always had a fantastic piece of advice that I've lived by, which was stay ready, ain't got to get ready. Oh yeah. And, that's the perfect. And that's, that's kind of like the men, my mentality with a lot of things is like, just always try to stay ready and stay a little bit ahead and always be almost just a little bit overprepared, you know, cause yeah. you never know. I mean, you never know. I mean, definitely in times we're living in right now, like no one could have predicted something like this, you know? Of course. Yeah. Um, 
adding, adding to that, Ian, you hit the nail on the head 100% because that's definitely, you just, you, you just want to be fully updated and fully prepped. Yeah. I also always recommend that if there are specific companies or studios that you genuinely admire, you know, follow these uh, studios as groups or follow groups on LinkedIn such that you're among the very first to know when a position is posted. Yeah. In short, you want to be ahead of the curve. You want to ensure that you remain competitive, as I said earlier. You know, speaking on behalf of myself as a recruiter working very remotely at this time, um, I'm always creeping up on artist accounts. <laughs> so look over <laughs> LinkedIn <laughs> and Instagram. <laughs> yes, that's me. me. In all hours of the day, not just early in the morning, but sometimes late at night, sometimes even before I fall asleep, which yeah. I shouldn't admit that. <laughs> and you honestly never know when someone or, you know, be it one of your fellow artists in the industry at the senior level, someone who could also put, make, you know, be a great reference for you or a fellow recruiter might be reviewing your work and, um, you know, and for that opportunity that arises. Yeah. I'm going to go back just really quickly because I really loved something you said, which was your brand and like trying to like curate your brand as an artist. And I don't think a lot of people think of themselves in that way. Like I think people think of themselves as artists, but like there's a lot more to like, being an artist, I think, especially mm -hmm. when when it comes to like being a commercial artist, I feel like people don't realize as a commercial artist that you there is a certain amount of selling that has to happen with regards to yourself as an artist and the kind of work that you put out, whether you like mm -hmm. it or not, like when you're going out there and you're trying to get a job, you're selling yourself essentially. Right. And that's mm -hmm. I feel like one of the things that I've always not resented, but I I, I just don't like that. like. I wish people were more comfortable with talking about the business of visual effects yeah. and also kind of like the business of getting a job and selling yourself. And part of the reason I'm doing this podcast is because of that. I want to like imbue some of that stuff that has worked for me. And like, I think no one should be, should ever feel uncomfortable about trying to sell themselves or brand themselves. And you shouldn't think that it means like you're any less of like a true artist, right? Because you're, you're branding yourself and you have like a website and you're pushing the work that you're doing and you're like sharing it. Like it doesn't mean you're any less of an artist. It just means like you're actually really good at the other part of being a commercial artist, you know? And I think sometimes it's sometimes I'll, I feel like sometimes people that are more visible, get jobs more often than people that are like the best, you know, because I've seen some yeah. people's work that like they haven't shared with anyone that is incredible. And I'm like, Jesus, why don't you put this somewhere so that someone can find you or look at this stuff? Because you're so focused on like, oh, I just do the work, which is totally important. But like, you have to understand unless you want to be like that artist that just works in a basement and like doesn't sell your stuff or doesn't work for any do any kind of commercial work and it's like a pure artist mm -hmm. if you were trying to work for a company and you're trying to do commercial art i feel like it's very important to sell yourself as a brand and like things that i've done that have worked is doing things like working on films and posting those things out there updating my reel having an up-to-date website making like it's not easy to have press out there about yourself but maybe doing things or co-writing an article on visual effects and putting that out there just so that when people Google you and look you up, they see your name coming up and they see it like linked to things in the industry. And, you know, they see you actually being active and participating. And then they see that awesome reel and they're like, wow, this person really cares about the effects. They, they have like a website, they've got like a blog, they've got some short projects that they've worked on, you know, they're gonna put in effort. And those are things that for me, it just, I think it, it makes me feel like it means they're putting in the effort, right? They're putting in the extra yeah, energy because they actually really care about this. You know, I would rather work with somebody that's not as good, 
that cares about the work and cares about doing good work than somebody that's amazing and doesn't care about working with a team and putting in the effort and, you know, trying to make sure that they, they fit in with that, within a group, you know? Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I, I say this all the time whenever I give a, a lecture presentation that I could meet the most talented artist in the whole wide world. But if that individual is not comfortable working with others or doesn't genuinely have a passion in, with collaboration, particularly when we're working in an industry where in many circumstances you're working under tight deadlines or you're, you need to, you need to collaborate and, you know, a lot of different personalities, you know, I think you also touched upon the idea of self-promotion, you know, personally, that's something throughout my career I've always struggled with, but I've grown to learn even just the past two years alone, that it's not about being the loudest person in the room Mm -hmm. to your point the way that you've referenced, you know, publishing online your, you know, an article or working on a passion project yeah, and totally. hosting and sharing it. These are all wonderful things to do to show like a future employer that you're you're dedicated to the craft and you really care about what you do. Yeah, and you can make you can do that kind of stuff and keep it authentic to who you are, you know, and who you are as an artist or as an employee or as a brand, like all that stuff. And one of the things I do think, I think yeah, it's actually very the reality of the situation is that it is unfortunate timing, especially coming out of school right now with the shifting landscape of the visual effects industry and the way things are happening. I think it's going to shift. Things are going to change again really quickly because we're seeing we're seeing things kind of like move in more positive direction with regards to the COVID virus and things like that. But I think it was tough. It was tough before for people to kind of trust hiring freelancers and bringing in people and always like really over scrutinizing. I think even now with the fact that you can't actually see a person and talk to a person probably as often or as much as you would have before in like the hiring process, bringing on people from school or bringing people into the industry new, it's going to be tough to be able to sell yourself when people can't talk to you and get a sense for who you are. Because when I'm looking at new artists coming in, like you said, are you, are you, do you work well in a team? Can you communicate? You know, do you feel like, does it feel like you would get along with the rest of the people here? Those things are important and I feel like it gets overlooked. And those are things that I feel like I'm always able to sense a lot more when I'm in person with a person. And so not having that right now, it might be tough. But like we said, I think if you establish your brand and you establish yourself as an artist in some form, communicating who you are and your perspective and your viewpoint online and being able to kind of concisely show that, I feel like that's... That's that would be very important. And if you were getting out of school and you're having trouble finding jobs, find other students and do a project, do a do like a kick butt project and submit it to festivals, win some awards with that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. if all, if everyone is not able to work together, like can't can't get jobs because of something, you guys should get together, work on some awesome projects. I guarantee you, you'll find opportunities, you know. Absolutely. And then. um Oh, sorry. I don't want to cut you no, off. No, that's it. That was it. Like you'll find, I'm sure you'll find opportunity. And this is definitely a testing, trying times. It's not easy, but I think like a lot of times in situations like this, the, the best and the hardest working and the most creative people rise to the top, you know? Absolutely. I definitely agree with you there. And I think, you know, some other really quick things that one can do is also, you know, prepping for online interviews at this time, mm-hmm. particularly if you get a an online interview with a particular studio that you've been determined to work for over the years, yeah. you know, making sure that the lighting in your apartment is set up nicely, yes. that yeah. your audio is is in, in a great state. If you're not speaking, you know, over Skype or over Zoom or the usual suspects, Microsoft Teams, yeah. et cetera, like also important to ensure that, you know, your phone uh, reception is, is 
yeah, loud and clear. Yeah, signal your service, yeah. Signal, yeah. To be fair, I think, you know, we as recruiters and we as companies have a lot more empathy and a lot more understanding than I've seen more than ever just with, you know, so don't don't despair if, you know, one of these factors is not possible. Yeah, for sure. And there's a lot more understanding on the receiving end. But I think that's one thing that you can take into consideration to help yourself. And then also, you know, assessing what online networking opportunities that you might have. Because I think even if it's not an online networking opportunity that speaks to your strengths as an artist, it's good to have that practice such that when we are on the other side, side of this and we're all in the same space together, you'll have had some practice on how to introduce yourself, how to reference your elevator pitch that I referenced or that I mentioned earlier. You know, just as much as possible, you know, practice makes perfect, you know, practice with a friend, you know, if you want to ask each other one, you know, the standard interview questions and just call each other or get on a Zoom call. Totally. And And you want to just get comfortable. For me, like, you don't have to sound like, for me, I just, you want it to feel natural. I think you want it to feel like you're just having a conversation, you know? And the unfortunate thing is some people are better at being comfortable having conversations about work with new people, you know, than others are. But that's where practice comes in. You know, you practice it with some friends and you work on it and you do it a couple of times. And I, I wouldn't even mind if someone told me, hey, sorry, like I'm a little nervous. I'm just like a little anxious about this because I really want this job. I'm just giving you a heads up. And I'll be like, yeah, no problem. Take your time, you know, take your time to collect your thoughts, breathe, whatever you need to do yeah. to, you know, get that conversation going and have just chat about what your hopes are, what you want to do, how you. One thing I would say about coming to a company, which I, I luckily got this advice a long time ago, like always do like research about that company, you know, because yeah. there's nothing that makes me me happier when I'm looking at a new artist's reel or work than finding out that they know something about how our company works, right? Because right, you want to exactly. you want to do your research, like what if you're going to a place that does amazing creature work? You should kind of have a sense of the kind of work they do, the kind of company they are, so that you're kind of sharing and having that conversation about that kind of work and how you could possibly fit in, you know? That's how I always yeah, present myself as like, this is how I see myself fitting in in your company and how I can be of value, you know? And that's, that's something that you have to do that prep and that research and understanding what the company is about and what they do. Yep, definitely. That That's another very important bit of uh, advice for sure. Yeah. And, and to go along with this, you've been very involved in education and you've been very involved in like mentorship and volunteering. Could you like talk about some of these like at SVA? I've come and talked at SVA with you and I know you're involved in mm, wonderful. Yeah, I know you're involved in animation project and access mm-hmm. VFX. If you want to maybe talk a little bit about kind of these programs and why you're involved in these programs and like what you see the value of these programs being, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought this up. You know, I'm really passionate about people. I really believe in the value and importance of mentorship. I feel like it's imperative that all of us as professionals in the industry are able to give back to our communities and ensure the future generations have the opportunities that we ourselves have been given and otherwise, especially now that the environment is even more competitive than it's been, or it feels that way to me at least. Mm So I'm co-chair of the New York chapter of Access VFX, and I'm really happy to be part of an initiative that helps promote diversity and inclusion in the VFX game and animation industries. I really value the importance of, you know, introducing a variety or a myriad of career paths 
into the world of post-production. I don't think there is one formula for how one can enter the world of post. I think there are just a wide range of, of skills and opportunities, and I think different perspectives enhance the general dynamic of a studio. As the industry career advisor for the animation project, I have more recently provided some professional development support or workforce development support to a really incredibly diverse and talented group of artists from New York City's five boroughs. The idea is that we're creating new storytellers for uh, or a new generation of storytellers where youth can have access to design, compositing, and animation capabilities. And then with the, the view that they can be offered opportunities, uh, internship opportunities or job opportunities in the world of post-production. This initiative itself is uh, presently supported by the New York Mayor's Office, and it's an incredibly important organization to me. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It's It's been really, really great. And we've had uh, a recent graduation of our compositing cohort. It was an intensive that took place from January and until just this past Thursday, where the 12 students graduated. Wow, congrats, guys. Woo! Yeah, thank you. They, um, they're incredible and they basically met four times a week online. We migrated them all online thanks to the incredible managing director. And we had a 100% attendance rate, which was pretty amazing. Wow, that's incredible. Every, yeah. every single day. Wow, that's awesome. Um, and then, yeah, it's been it's been really exciting to see them grow and flourish and they're wonderful and, and they're an incredible dynamic um, themselves. And then last but not least, I am a mentor for women in animation. Um, for their mm-hmm. chapter. I work with a wonderful group of incredibly talented females and they're a nonprofit organization. I think many of us have heard of, of them whose purpose is to help, you know, promote and support and encourage female talent within the world of animation and VFX. So as a mentor for women in animation, the idea is that as a professional within the industry, you're offering more immediate access to the industry by being able to speak to the day-to-day or to the experiences or to, or to your knowledge for those who, who might welcome that knowledge. And, um, Like I said, we have an incredibly bright and talented and wonderful group this past year, and I'm really honored to be a part of that initiative as well. That's amazing. And so for me, like I've always talked about, as far as giving back to the community, I I never knew. I think we had we had this diversity panel talk and like Mm -hmm. I totally. Yeah, I totally see the value. And in this kind of work, and I feel like it's so, so important and I cannot, and maybe for me, like this podcast is a way that I'm trying to see if I can contribute and give back a little bit, but I definitely should do more. But I will say that when I, when I was first getting started, I never knew that animation and visual effects was a career that I could have where Mm -hmm. I could be passionate about something. I could enjoy the work I'm doing. I could, you know, have a great living, you know, and like meet great people and work on cool things and get to play with computers all day. You know, I always thought, unfortunately, like that, like there were very limited options for me because of where I came from and my kind of my background, right. And being an African-American male in the United States. And I really wish I talked to Sakani about this in the last episode that like we really wish that we had known that these opportunities are out there and we're trying to see if we can do things like this and have conversations and have like the animation project that are out there just to let people know that this is an awesome job where you meet great, creative, talented people. And, you know, like I I say, I was saying this a lot with him and forgive me if it sounds like a little too blunt or something, but I always thought like I could only be a rapper or a basketball player, you know, growing up as a kid. I never felt like I could, I never saw anybody that looked like me on television or I never saw any engineers or doctors or filmmakers. Like the reason I got into film was because I saw Spike Lee 
as a director, mm-hmm. right? I wanted to get into film and I got into film and from there transitioned into animation. And yeah, it's because I finally saw like, I saw a few people that look like me and I, I tried it out at school. And I was like, man, this is great. If I could figure out a way, I didn't even know at the time I could get paid, but I was just like, maybe if I just stick with this long enough, someone will pay me for doing it. You know, mm-hmm. obviously Spike Lee is getting paid by someone to do it. I could figure out a way <laughs> to get paid to be in this world somehow. And I think the those initiatives are so important. And I think mentorship is so important. And I think the work that you're doing is amazing, Kat. It's really, oh, yeah, it is. It's really amazing. But- and it's very, very important work. Well, you highlight a really important statement that it's really, really, really important to have these conversations and to share your career path, you know, so that other generations can see what access, you know, the youth might have to programs that exist that could be a source of relief and support and could be a passion that's turned into a future career. And, um, you know, being able to see someone who, you know, represents your future in the industry, especially in the leadership level, level, that's the most important thing. Yeah. And that was the thing we talked about is I never felt like even once I got in, I never felt like I saw people in leadership positions that look like me, you know, and I talked to Sakani about it again, just because like he's one of my friends that we kind of have these conversations a lot. And we were just like, yeah, man, it just felt like I always saw people that were like interns and then maybe like a few junior mid-level artists. And then after that, they were all gone. And I was like, I don't know what happened between that point and like getting to becoming like a managing director, a VFX supervisor or anything, all this stuff. But yeah, I just never saw many people like that. And I got in trouble actually, maybe I think it was a year or two ago because I went on... uh, (laughs) Nobody's ever going to be able to find this, but I went on Reddit and I asked people like literally point blank, where are all the black visual effects supervisors? This was like maybe two or three years ago. And I was like, I don't see any black VFX supervisors. Like, where are they all at? And people were like giving me all these excuses. People got upset. And it was like one of the longest Reddit VFX chains ever and I was just, and I called it diversity in visual effects and I was like where are all the black people in black VFX supervisors and like out of everyone in the world they named like maybe two and I think that was part of the reason I wanted to become a visual effects supervisor at that point I was like I could go like stay the flame route but I was like no man I gotta be that black visual effects supervisor I gotta do it screw it I'm just gonna do it you know but yeah, and that was a very important question for you to ask too. Yeah, and I mean, people I'm got like, offended. Why did you start that dialogue? People got offended, and and people some people didn't get offended, and they gave valid reasons. And I was like, a lot of these reasons make sense, you know. Like for me, like at at the core of it, like circling back, like part of the reason I felt I feel like now that there isn't as much representation in that leadership role is because there isn't that much mentorship for those kinds of people, right? We ta- I've talked about this with my friends before is like, where, yeah, who is mentoring these kids and letting them know that these kinds of jobs and opportunities are there and who is there trying to like mentor these kids and bring them from mid-level to senior to VFX supervisor, you know? Right. Absolutely. And, and it's very, very important. And I think uh, as far as like the mentorship and the representation aspect, maybe this is a good segue to kind of like move into women in VFX, right? Like, how do you see, how do you see like, because for me, I feel like that's even one of those things that is always kind of like hard to find too, especially in like, I feel like more often than not the creative role, you know, like Mm -hmm. the create, I feel like I know a lot of female producers, you know, and, but I don't know as many, I, I know a lot because I've worked with a lot of them, but I feel like even with the ones I know, I still feel like 
there aren't enough. And, and I just want to know a little bit of like your thoughts on that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, speaking on behalf of my own personal experience, even just the past couple of years alone, I think regardless of what level of talent you are, uh, it's always really important to have a mentor. And I know speaking from my own experience um, in, you know, talent acquisition and talent development, I really struggled for the longest time to find a mentor who was that, you know, someone I could personally look up to because I didn't see a lot of females in in leadership roles. Yeah. You know, certainly women within our industry have been very underrepresented represented. <laughs> See, I still can't speak. But um, very optimistically, I'm conscious that more recently, I am I am genuinely seeing more of a rise in senior management or supervisor positions. Cool. You know, this does offer a more positive viewpoint for future generations who can see themselves represented in these leadership roles, yeah. I feel. Now, while gender disparity does exist, I'm conscious that more and more in sort of, you know, looking at my relationships with schools and universities, I'm seeing you know, even just the past, I would say, three or four years alone, I'm seeing a genuine um, exponential increase in female students yeah. within some of the programs, yeah. specific to that of games, animation, um, yeah. and VFX. And that and was one of the things that was strange to me for a long time. I mean, I'd, I'd gone to a couple school, like, chats and, like, doing little panel things here and there. And I always saw more females, but then I'd go to my office and it'd be, like, a lot more male, you know? Yep. Which... Yeah, Absolutely just didn't make sense but yeah and it's important to have the female perspective it's important to have all sorts of perspectives all perspectives yeah because yeah. we do creative work right it's like yeah. you want it to be challenged and you want to have different perspectives like it doesn't make any sense for creative work to only be seen through one lens right yeah and no, no artist Exactly. To your point, it does defeat the purpose and you know no one should feel different and yeah. um, our storytellers within our industry, do need to be more diverse in general yeah. and more inclusive. And honestly, when that happens, that's when we get the good stuff. Yeah. Now, here's a here's a sentence that I heard a guy say on another podcast I was listening to, which kind of like made me stop for a second and pause. And maybe it's something we can like have a little conversation about. Mm -hmm. The guy said that, and it, yeah, it was it was um, it was an African American male, and he said that he loves the idea of inclusivity, and he was like, inclusion is great. But to put in perspective, inclusion is like you were invited to the party and belonging is like they're playing your music. Right. Mm -hmm. And that kind of yeah. stuck with me a little bit because I was like, yeah, there sometimes I do feel like, yeah, there is inclusion. Like you do see people, but does it feel like like they belong a little bit? Like, do you know, does it mm -hmm. feel like it's actually like inviting and does the culture feel like it's actually inviting for these people that are here you know or are we are we just like oh okay well we've we've got diversity we've got like some african americans we've got some asian americans we've got some women here but like are we actually making them feel like they belong in this community do they feel like they represent the community. Yeah, and that's and that's why it's really important from a learning and development perspective that, you know, studios and organizations are conscious of that, that, you know, from the more leadership perspective and trickling down that these conversations are being had and these open dialogues are happening with the staff. I'm definitely aware that sometimes it can feel like one's invited, but that yeah. one doesn't have the support or the framework for those conversations to be happening. You know, I think we've talked about bias tests that a lot of studios are offering their staff where these conversations can be more open and be more inclusive because it does have to, my opinion is such that it does need to come from the top, you know, the senior management teams, managing directors. The, oh yeah, hundred percent. It needs to, it, those conversations need to be open from those individuals and, and, and such that 
you know, everyone else has that support. Yeah. And that's like, for me, I've worked in places where I felt like there has been a little bit of like a boys club thing. I mean, it's admittedly to your point, you know, way more common than it should be, or it shouldn't be happening at all in that context. You know, I, I, I did, you know, having started off at, as a runner at the mill, you know, I did get a lot of support and encouragement from, you know, my fellow artists and wonderful producers as well, who really supported me and helped support my career, wanted to see me succeed. A lot of that came from, you know, our collective caring for one another and sort of growing up within the industry together. The industry is certainly very heavily male dominated. And yes, there were definitely occasional moments of discomfort and, you know, which caused me to have feelings of self-doubt within my role. You know, particularly when I started off, I was a CG scheduler or, you know, scheduling the computer graphics department. And the the whole department itself was male dominated with the exception of one female artist, a, a dear friend of mine, and the rest were male. So you can imagine that conversations would occasionally be very, um, you know, addressed basically would would respond to the the question that you're you're referencing right now yeah you know I have been admittedly on the receiving end of some crass conversations over the years and yeah you know have had some uncomfortable conversations and that's why you know or where I felt like I couldn't have have addressed or responded to everything uh, yeah. or to the chats because they didn't really apply to me and I was one of two females within the same space that we were all sharing. Yeah. But with that said, that's when I do feel that, you know, having a place with your human resources department is really important and being able to have those open conversations with your heads of department and the HR team are so invaluable. And my, my problem with this kind of stuff is just because I feel like when we talk about not seeing representation in like higher management or upper management is that you feel like you have to be kind of part of that club to move ahead which is so messed up, you know, and, and part of that also is like, I, I'm, I'll speak on a couple little examples that I've had that kind of, I was not comfortable with and not happy with the way these things went. And I always felt I was pretty confident and like good at my job and stuff. But like mm-hmm. one of the things that frustrated me the most was like, I would have female coworkers that were like really awesome at the jobs and they were always self-doubting themselves, right? As far as like how good they were, whether they were junior, whether they were senior, whether they were, you know, like, am I good enough to do this? Or, and I had coworkers over the years, I'd be like, dude, you are awesome at your job. And I just, I, I, and I didn't realize that I was saying that only from like a point of privilege feeling like, you know, like where I'm like in a weird way, I kind of was like, oh yeah, I'm confident in my work. Like I don't have to worry about the boss or these guys thinking that I'm not as good at what I do because I can stand up for myself in a way and like talk about my work and I don't have to feel like I'm not part of the club, but like I can see how after having conversations and really starting to tune into like how people talk in workplaces, especially in creative industries where people are kind of like, People get really close and they get very comfortable, you know, and so they say things thinking, oh, this is just I'm just talking and just hanging with my friends, you know, when you don't realize that there's seven boys in the room, you say something like this, it could make a woman uncomfortable and it could also make her feel like she doesn't want to push the buttons or be confrontational about her work or defend her work, you know, because it'd be like seven against one or something. And you have to be sensitive to that kind of stuff. And I had 
a lot of female workers over the years that were incredible at what they did and were insecure about their work and where they felt like they stood and wouldn't go for things like promotions or asking for more money and things like that. And I started thinking, I was like, man, I could see how this could just perpetuate a whole culture of them not wanting to get ahead or do go for jobs or better promotions or defending their work or saying, yeah, I feel like I'm mid-level artist. And I would see guys that were like two, three, three times worse than these women and they would be getting promotions or they would be moving ahead. And I'd just be like, I'm not going to say the person's name, but I'd be like, yo, look at that person. They're so trash at their job and they're getting ahead. You know, you're better. How could you not look at that person? They're terrible. Look at their work. We've made, I've made fun of their work with you. There's no way you shouldn't be going for it, you know, but unfortunately, yeah, it is part of that culture, right? It's like, and yeah. And, and um, you, you've hit the nail on the head too with the feelings of self-doubt because so many of us as females within the industry have experienced that. And that, that trickles into conversations of, you know, trying to, to go for that promotion or having those yeah. salary negotiations. And, you know, that's why I, I, I highly advise that it's really important to have a fellow uh, mentor in the industry who's gone through yeah. what you've been through because so many of us have had those moments where what's the expression? Imposter syndrome, you know? That oh feeling. yeah, totally. Because you yeah. start to question, you know, when you're not as sure. represented within your studio or within your yeah. department even, and you yeah. don't have that, that more senior personality to chat to or to look up to, it can be very, very debilitating. Yeah. And, and, and that's how I feel like you could have a virtuous cycle like that, where like Absolutely. continually is just like self-perpetuating, self-fulfilling prophecy of like, feeling like you're insecure, feeling like you're not part of the club, hearing the conversation feeling like you don't fit in the culture and that kind of like trickling into you not wanting to go for that promotion, go for yeah. that job, defend your work, you know, put yourself out there, second guessing the stuff that you're doing. When people that are like not even a tenth of as good as you are sitting there just like, yeah, I'm the best, blah, 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 just talking their way to the top, you know? And that's why I encourage those of you listening to this podcast, those of you who are experiencing these these frustrations or these concerns or these stresses, to reach out to me because I'm happy to talk you through some yeah. of these fears and frustrations that you have because I yeah. so many of us have been there. And, and you're uh, really good at it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but yeah. it, we've, we've all been there. So it's kind of um, unfortunate. And I Listen, mean, it's kind of even I felt like I was, this is a story I've told very few people, but I have had multiple times in my career where people have said the n-word to me at work as if it was like a joke right like and i would just pause and be like why would you say that yeah and immediately the entire room would just get uncomfortable and i feel ashamed to say that there have been times where it happened and i kind of just played it off because i didn't want to be that it's like it's i didn't want to be that angry black guy you know i already kind of have like a go for it personality and stuff and i just there have been times where i i didn't want to i just didn't want to be like that seen as that angry black guy because you could this is like something you probably see in like hr books or whatever hr tutorials and stuff how to handle these situations and you feel like yeah if i do do this if i do stand up and say something about this i could be seen as like the person that causes trouble like you know the the person that's like and there have been times but there have been times where it, it was more initially in the earlier stages of my career where i felt more insecure you know where right. i didn't i wasn't as senior, as I grew up most senior, someone said something like that, I would definitely just completely shut it down. And the the weird thing, oftentimes it would be friends, right? And I'd be like, listen, I know you're still my friend, but like, 
why are you saying it? You don't even need to say that. I don't even say that. Like, why are you saying that? Yes. Like, what do you think it means? Like, oh, we're like friends now. You can just say the N-word whenever you want. That's going to make me be like, oh, that's my buddy. Yeah, that's what's up. We call each other that. It's like, I don't even feel comfortable saying that. And and I remember when it first happened, I kind of was like, it was the first time I was kind of confronted with, and I didn't even think VFX industry was like in this way, but it's just everywhere. Right. So I, I just, I kind of just was like, Oh man, I guess this is how the world is. Like I was, it was actually not in a weird way. I felt like it happening kind of not killed my innocence, but in a way, like I kind of had a thing in the back of my head where I was like, people still, people still do not know like what is appropriate. Like, and what is appropriate with regards to things like race and what is appropriate with regards to like what you can say to like women in workplaces and how to act. And it's, and it's not, it's not everyone. It's just, you can't control everyone. And if the culture kind of like lets that stuff slide by it probably, and it's like part of the group. And that's kind of like my thoughts on like the boys club kind of situation sometimes Mm -hmm. is that like, and I've had great friends that it looks like we're like boys clubs, but like we would punch another dude in the face for messing with one of our female coworkers. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've had that in a lot of places, which was awesome. You just have like a family vibe and you would defend people. You would defend female coworkers because you knew that like, it was harder for them, you know, and that they had, you had to kind of be like an ally and look out for them. And you knew the guys that were kind of like dicks that you kind of was like, don't stay away from that dude. He's a dick. And it's unfortunate that that kind of stuff still has to happen, but it is the world. And I wish, yeah, that was the thing for me as an African American male, I wish I had like another senior black coworker I could talk to about something like that, but I couldn't, I just had to move. I had to like, take it in, just be like, all right, this is a situation. This is the reality of the world you work in. You, you might not be comfortable defending yourself now, but eventually you'll probably be senior enough. And I did, I got to the point where I was senior enough. If somebody said something like that to me, or even kind of the way I always have is like a joke, right? You're like, Oh, my N word or Yo, you hear like Chris, the the sleek, the sneakiest way is when people say it when they're like listening to a song and they say it and they're like, oh, what? Like this person said it in this song, why can't I say it? I'm like, dude, I don't even say it. Like, don't, why are you yeah. telling me? Like, I don't want to be part of that at all. And it's just very unfortunate that this wasn't even too long. This was maybe like two or three years ago. And that, I, that's, I, yeah. It's, it's heartbreaking. Like it's, it's, it's also yeah. unacceptable behavior. It and totally is. Yeah. Oh, just in, in, not just in the professional spectrum, but yeah. in life. And I feel ashamed that like, I kind of also, I let it slide because the people that had done it, I actually did like them and I didn't want to see something bad happen to them, which is so messed up. And I still feel really bad about that, but I've had conversations with those people when it first happened, it didn't, but I've had conversations with them in the future about it you know, about how it's not, this is not right to talk like that. I wouldn't talk like that. You shouldn't do that. And usually it ends after that, but yeah. you never know. But I've been there too. You know, I've, I've witnessed conversations or I've been on the receiving end of, of, of comments and, you know, I felt ashamed too by not addressing it on the spot, but I was also so disarmed, you know? Yeah, exactly. Wow. You don't so even expect often. it. I was just like, whoa, what just happened? Like... Yeah, and that's why, in particular, it's so important for your organization or studio to have these conversations. Ensure that you know 
this is, is prohibited, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, the positive thing I feel like, but there are a lot of people that are out there that are trying to look out for you. And I did find people later on that I could talk to that were coworkers that I could kind of confide in and they supported me and they were like, listen, this is not right. If they ever did that, like I would have your back, you know? And, and so you shouldn't like, it's not like it's all negative. Like there are, there are people out there that you can confide to people like you, like HR that you can talk to about these kinds of situations. But unfortunately, yeah, this kind of stuff does happen, but there, there are people that are out there looking out for you and trying, trying to, trying to do right and trying to make sure that everyone is comfortable at work. Absolutely. And we all need to collectively help put an end to all of this because it's yeah. really um, unacceptable. Yeah. All right. Well, um, maybe this is a good time to kind of transition into our last question of the Absolutely. night. And so I, I kind of came upon this. Well, maybe we'll have two questions. I'm having fun. Um, <laughs> so one of the questions uh, I have is like, there is a, there's a, there's a physicist, Nobel winning, award winning physicist that had this theory called the cataclysm sentence. And uh, his name's Richard Feynman. And the cataclysm sentence is basically like, if the world were to end and there was one sentence you would use to kind of let everyone know about visual effects and that would kind of like some kind of like legendary piece of advice for future generations about visual effects. Um, a, a lesson maybe that you've held to yourself throughout your whole career. What would that be? The sentence itself is a bit more abstract than I expected it to be when you asked this question, but it would be lead with empathy. I think it obviously doesn't just apply to the professional world, but I do yeah. think uh, with our industry and other industries out there, I think Leading with empathy, you know, having an empathetic heart in your approach, in your conversations, in your communication, in any sort of correspondence. And especially in these very uncertain times, this is genuinely the most important. You know, I think it's really, really important to approach any sort of conversation, any sort of networking opportunity, anything within the industry with a sense of empathy and also as much authenticity as you can bear. Because <laughs> I think it's really important that you know your worth as an artist. And that's exponentially an important part of the conversation or connections you'll make with others. And like I said, it translates into life as well. You know, we're kind of uh, not to not to go a bit further off topic, but, you know, we're we are experiencing a, a pandemic and we're experiencing it together at this time. I heard this expression recently or I read this. I think um, one of my former SVA students actually posted this on her Instagram story. But the expression is such that we are not working or studying from home right now. We are at home during a crisis, trying to work and study. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a really important reminder for us. Yeah, it's good. I like that. <laughs> it's, and it's so true. You it's know, true, we're, all, yeah. we're all experiencing it. But I, I definitely would say that the, the main statement and sort of something that I've hopefully like to think that I've built my career upon is that of leading with empathy. I love that. So where is that from? Did, is it just something that you kind of like, is that a cat phrase? Is that a coined <laughs> cat I phrase? Mean, I mean, I'm sure other other folks have used that phrase. It's before. pretty broad. Yeah, it's pretty oh. it's pretty general. But like, where where did where was the moment where you were hit with like lightning bolt and you were like, this is it. This is kind of like my guiding light. Lead with <laughs> I mean, empathy. 
I mean, I think I sort of factor that into my life and also just even just with how my career has evolved over the past several years, I really so much of my day to day or hourly uh, correspondence is 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 based on connection with fellow artists, fellow producers, individuals for whom I'm trying to find opportunities for, or students that I'm working with in different organizations and, and schools who are looking for their next steps of their, in their careers. And I think, you know, supporting the, the talent development or, you know, having those conversations, I think everything has to do with, you know, being able to be empathetic to one's struggles, one's interests, one's passions. And I think that makes me I'd like to think that that makes me better at my job because so much of what I do and what we all do really is based on human connection and just trying to understand and know people better. So I suppose that's where I came up with yeah, that. <laughs> totally. No, I love it. I'm trying to steal parts of it. I, hey, you, like, can, you can steal it. I think, oh, you yeah. know, I, I think it's important if people steal that because I, yeah, because it's great because like you said, yeah, it is a lot of our work is with connection, right? Like Mm -hmm. at the core of like what all of us do in visual effects is like, I think really we're like storytellers. Like we Mm -hmm. use computers and we use creativity and art to try to use those pixels to kind of tell stories that we connect other people to others, people's stories, you know? And I feel like the better you are empathizing, the better storyteller you'll be. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I love that. And it's also, you know, everything that you do, everything I do, everything that, you know, Sakani has done and, and so, so many of our, our fellow peers have done. It's, you know, it's all about human connection. It's all about collaboration. I mean, we're all essentially doing this together and we all have, a, you know, like the, the post-production community itself is, is quite small. You know, we yeah, all know it's, one it's very small. Yeah. We all overlap and we all we all support one another. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. I guess I'm trying to do this new thing now. Like I like the, I like the positivity coming out of this. So I'm like, is there something that you've been doing in your time right now that has been giving you a little bit of like positivity and energy? Like, is there a book that you read? Is there any kind of recommendation for like something you've been doing? I have one that kind of popped into my head, something that has been giving me like a lot of joy and like been giving, like allowing me to stay present and Mm -hmm. get through this thing. Is there something that like sticks out in your mind? Um, I do. uh, I think if I were to sort of generalize, I would say definitely establishing a routine that's been mm-hmm. very helpful because I think so much of our, our concept of time is so varied right now where some days sort of blend into one, other days you feel like you have a closer sense to, to your normal life before COVID yeah. or before these conversations have taken place or before we've been collectively affected as a, as a group. So I think establishing a routine has been very helpful. I do meditate often as well. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, I think it's really important. For sure. I for totally... We advocate meditating on this podcast, definitely. Oh, great. Okay, that's awesome. 100%. We're pro-meditation yeah. here. Yeah, some, some days are, are 10 minutes, other days are 30. So it sort of really depends upon... Ooh, wow, how much- damn, I've never done 30 minutes before. <laughs> I mean, 30 I would fall. I would fall asleep. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I definitely... It can be a stretch, you know? The, I've the done line. 20 before. 30 is yeah, like... great, though, you know? Yeah, thir- 20 is good. Like, thir- after 30, that's like an episode of a TV show. I'm out. <laughs> There's no uh, way. I mean, maybe an episode of Friends or <laughs> um, with commercials. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, to be fair, I more err on the 10 minute side than the 30 minute side. But when I have a, a lighter schedule, I will try to aim for the 30 minute side of things. Yeah. But honestly, what's really helped me is establishing a routine, whether it's, you know, making sure certain calls happen in the morning or working with certain organizations that I work with in the afternoon, yeah. just keeping us a, a routine. A routine. 
And then also, honestly, um, I have to say, working with the animation project more recently has just been, you know, giving me life. It's been really wonderful working with the students and just seeing their dedication. Like I I mentioned this earlier that, you know, we have with the graduating cohort from last week, we had 100% attendance, which... That's amazing, yeah. Those, you know, when you see these statistics and when you spend time with an incredible group of humans who are really determined and really care about what they do, it's so inspiring. Like that's sort of, it's been really wonderful to see and that's and, amazing i think the routine thing is a fantastic recommendation because it helps i mean not to say that you shouldn't allow yourself to just kind of like sit and do nothing but like it yeah. helps give you some structure and some sanity i think when you need it the meditation thing is fantastic and and yeah i think the animation project that's that's awesome you know that's i feel like doing stuff giving back always gives me energy sometimes mm-hmm. you know like you you get revitalized by like helping other people Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I just think it's so important to give back to your point. There's, there's a, it's, it's really, really integral to, you know, how we, you know, not just in life in general, but, you know, in, in post-production, it's particularly important to ensure that the support is there for future generations. For sure. There's nothing like that. Yeah. I guess if I was to give any recommendations right now, mine would be New York Times cooking app. Oh yes, That's I a got good one. that the other day, and cooking has been a like weird escape for me. Mm. I've never been very intentional with cooking the way I am with like with like my work, and like I got the cooking app. The design of it is awesome. It's very easy to use. I've got it on my iPad, and I just pick like a meal, and I'm like, I'm gonna learn how to make like homemade ramen. Let's do this. And I follow every, it's like, it's, it's the same way. I feel like I never had such a like close connection with cooking. I kind of, I enjoyed it every once in a while, but like with all this time, I was, I was, I was saying to my girlfriend that like, it feels like there must be so many people that are like slow cooking at home. Cause like the recipe says like 30 minutes. And I find that it always takes me like almost double because I'm like, cutting like every piece of like garlic perfectly and like pressing I'm like I do not want to mess up this recipe you know and it's good because it makes me feel like I'm doing something I'm kind of zoning out like you know I'm just like following the recipe and I'm trying to like get this thing done and I see the final product so cooking with the New York Times cooking app has been that's been my thing that's been my thing this whole time yeah it's great cooking cooking is a meditation in and of itself too yeah It feels very like, I, I just feel like I'm, I can lose myself in that, that process, yeah. you know, doing stuff yeah, like that. It's important. Yeah. Well, Kat, this has been fantastic. Thank oh, you for thank coming you. on. This is a great Thanks episode. Yeah. And we'll, we'll link all of the resources and stuff in the, in the show notes and stuff on the episode. Um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. It's really meant a lot and it was lovely seeing you again. All right. That was our interview with Kat Gulachi. Kat is currently the co-chair of Access VFX, the industry outreach advisor for the animation project, and an adjunct professor for the School of Visual Arts, which was just named the number one best animation school in the world by the Rookies World School Ranking for 2019. Our show this week was hosted by Balali Mack with a special shout out to Evan Anderson for sound design and editing. We tried a few new things sound design wise this week, and we hope you guys really enjoyed it.